Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. So obviously we're in Hebrews, and the idea is there's no turning back, because even if you were to look back at the law, it was always about faith and what God was doing and what God was going to do. And it was staying in lockstep with what God had said. That's the idea. When God said something, it was believed, and then they went and they did it. And that's when the blessings took place. So, um, so this encouragement to them is, look at the Old Testament examples. Even them, it was by faith. It wasn't by the law. So there is no return to the law. It's all moving forward, trusting and following in the provision of Jesus. So verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac your seed shall be called. By faith, by faith, and remember, faith is, has a lot of different elements to it, but I like that idea of allegiance, just trusting God. Whatever you say, I, I, I'm a soldier in the Lord's army. By faith, Abraham was tested with the greatest testing of his life. The past year of God's faithfulness in the life of Abraham, notably in the birth of Isaac, which was the most outrageous uh, answer to prayer of them all. This is the, the biggest thing. Like, this is a laughable. And here he is. So throughout Abraham's life, as he's been seeing God answer his prayers and his faith has been um, rewarded and God has shown him that he is faithful. If he asks you to do it, he'll follow through. It was all building up to the greatest moment of faith he was going to have to come to, decision. And I don't think faith necessarily just comes from like, oh, we're, you know, we we're, have all this faith, so we muster up this faith. It comes from the Lord, but it comes from relationship with the Lord. It's, it, we, sometimes we think it's like, you know, faith in faith. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand here and I'm going to drum up some faith. I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And you're like, okay, all right, okay. Do you or are you just getting loud? You know, like sometimes the louder people are, the less confident they are, right? That's actually usually how it works. Like if you see a big dog and they just stand there, they stare at you, you're like, you don't have to say a word, man, you know? Like, I, I respect, you know? <laughs> Have you ever seen, like, a cane corso or conic corso? Have you ever seen one of those dogs? They're just, like, the Italian mastiff, like, they just, they're like a pit bull that, like, grew, like, another foot on steroids. Like, they're just, like, and they, like, look at you, like, what's up, man? And you're, like, all, I don't know, dude, do you want the, you want my car or what? You know, like, I give you everything. But then you run across a chihuahua, and it's like, yeah, 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 and you're just, like, ugh. That one will bite you, though. So you're just looking around, you're like, man, what is, you know. You start to realize, okay, this one doesn't need to say a whole lot, right? And so a lot of times when we think about faith, uh, especially in some of the faith movements, it's like drumming it up. That's the idea, is faith in faith. But this kind of faith comes from relationship. And we've, we've talked about that many times. It comes from relationship. Abel seemed to know God and so was able to, he was, a, Abel was able to give the sacrifice that God wanted because he knew him. Enoch walked with God and then he wasn't. He was with him because he walked with him. 
Noah walked with God. And so he was warned about what was. So this active faith comes from an active walk with God, where you're speaking and you're listening. You have a relationship with him. How else would you have, would you believe someone you do not know? And so Abraham has been getting to know God more and more over the span of his life. And so here we go. Here's the big one. Abraham, I'm going to provide for you a child. What do we see here in verse 17? When he was tested, offered up Isaac, who he had received, who he, uh, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Now, where have we heard this kind of language before? His only begotten son. And the, the, what's so cool about this, right, is that as Abraham is being asked to do something absolutely ridiculous in his mind and sounds so absolutely horrific, and it sounds like, oh, what, who would ever ask something like this? We get a thousands of years early picture of Christ who would then give, God who would give up his only begotten son, Jesus. And we're gonna see that in a second. This is a figure. It's like a parable. So the life of Abraham is now like a parable of a father giving up a very precious son, a son of promise. And so Throughout this, his life, he's seen a lot of really cool stuff happen. Now he's a part of something so big that it would be something that we would be looking back on and going like, this Jesus thing has been planned from the very beginning. Like this has all been in the works from the very beginning. So he offered up Isaac, who he received the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, and Isaac, your seed shall be called. This is where it gets really confusing. This is uh, from Genesis 21, 12. Abraham's like, I'm going to offer up my son. But God didn't say it was a different son. It was Isaac that was going to be the promised son, the one that was going to be in the lineage, the one that was going to be part of, uh, you know, this great nation of descendants. It was specifically Isaac. And so that puts Abraham in such a ridiculous spot that I think it, it the promise of that just made him go, well, God's got to have something cooking. He's got to be doing something else. Because it was, there's not any, you know, ambiguity. It's like, it was going to be Isaac. I know it wasn't Ishmael. It, it's Isaac. And so you're asking me to sacrifice Isaac, but Isaac is the one that you're going to use. See? So that a lot of times when we're, we are in a place where we're exercising our faith, it'll seem like God's asking us to do something. We cannot deny that he's asking us to do it, but we go, Lord, you kind of already promised this, so I don't know how this is all going to work out. So we get a really good template of like what to do in a situation like that. Genesis 22 actually tells us the story, and we're going to read it because I think it's worth reading. Genesis 22, starting at verse 1. It, it should be up there, I think, yeah. Um, now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. The, okay, you were talking about relationship? God says, hey, Abraham, he's like, here I am. That's like what I, you're like, hey, Cannon. He's like, what's up, Dad? That's, that, this is a, 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 like a real relationship. He says, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains 
of which I shall tell you. This sounds so horrible. So Abraham, what does Abraham do though? He arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to, the, to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back to you. So we see Abraham in an active position of faith where he's, act, he's doing what God told him to do. He has, there is no plan other than I'm going to do what God told me to do. But he believes that he's going to give her a burnt offering, and yet he's going to come back with his son. How is this built? Years and years of faithfulness by God. This is years and years of relationship where God said something and Abraham believed it and it happened. That's the only way you get to this place. So when you go, well, I'm, I'm kind of doing the thing where I, you know, I go to church. and do, If we don't have an active relationship where we're spending time with God, listening to him, where we're reading and we're learning about him and, and we're praying and we have then we can't expect this kind of, any, any form of real faith because it's built out of relationship. And God gives us the faith to do it. But how does God give you something if you're not receiving anything from him, right? That's, that's like that point to all of us. And, and that's the first thing to go. You know, it's always the first thing to go. The quiet, stillness, time with the Lord. But that, this is where those, this is built. This is where you even hear the voice of the Lord, here I am. Be like, hey, Chris, and you're like, oh, I don't know what that was, but I gotta go. <laughs> I, got, I, I got way too busy of a day to be praying and reading the Bible. I've got way too busy of a day being a pastor to be praying. So, like, that's insane, right? But, but it, it doesn't, it's never said like that. Like it's, it's always nuanced. You got to, you know what? No one's, it's got to, this has got to get done. And that's got to get done. And that's got to get done. And so we have to say individually, Lord, I need this to be the relationship I've cultivate with you. So again, Abraham goes and he's planning to come back, back with the boy. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Active relationship with God, active relationship with his son. They sound very similar, right? Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Isaac had been part of the burnt offerings. He'd been seeing what Abraham was doing. He'd seen his relationship with God, and he was down to be a part of it. He'll be more of a part of it than he knows. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. This is Genesis. This is wild. Verse nine, then they came to the place which God had told him and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order and he bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to... Okay, so we'll stop right there for a second. So Isaac, 
by all estimations, is a teenager roughly at this time. So which would put Abraham at the spry age of like 115 or something. What do you think a 15-year-old and a 115-year-old? How you th- I mean, there's such a thing as old man strength, but it has its limitations, you know? Isaac is, is going along with this too. What do you think that's about? I think Isaac knew and had learned from his father to trust God even when it makes no sense. Well, is there anything better we can give to our kids than to not just say it, but to like actually do it? Why? Because Abraham's life had mostly done this. Again, though, not because he's a great faith guy, but because he is, he's slowly but surely learned that God is so much bigger and so much more faithful and so able to keep his promises. So he's trusted him. Now, Isaac's part of it. You can imagine he's like, well, what is going on? You are tying me up. Wait, Dad, now I'm on the altar. Why is the fire coming over? Why do you have a knife? Like, explain this to me, Dad. You know, we imagine. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Then Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its thorns. So Abraham went, took the ram, and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and you have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice." So Abraham returned to his young men, and they rose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. What a wild scene. But could you imagine waiting so long for something? I mean, it's, it's like become the focal point of your life, like a child. You can imagine that was happening early on in his life. They, they can't have a kid. They've kind of given up. Now God has re-entered the scene at 75 and says, hey, you're going to have a kid. Now you're waiting another 25 years and you finally have a kid. Do you think, what do you think, how easy would it be for that child to become the center of everything? I'll tell you what, when we don't have those circumstances, it's like that. And that's a, it's, we should care a lot about our kids. We should prioritize our our kids over many other things. But if the blessing or the provision of God ever takes the place of the God who provides, watch out. And this is so easy and it happens so often when God does something, we start worshiping the creation instead of the creator. What the staple that had just been or the, the landmark, the, the, the post that had just been driven into the ground was that God trusted and cared more, uh, Abraham cared more about what God said even than his own son. 
He trusted God more than he trusted himself. He loved God even more than he loved his own son. And that might sound really gnarly and crazy, but I think a, a, a love for God, a, a real genuine love for God gives us a love for our children that is actually deeper than we could well up on our own because he, he expands our capacity. He also shows us what love really is. Because a lot of times you say, oh, I love my kids, and so I'm going to spoil them rotten. That's actually not what your kids need. <laughs> what your kids need is love that can tell them the truth and be honest and be compassionate and merciful and gracious. And all the stuff that comes from a relationship with God is exactly what they need. But if they become God, you're going to ask more of them than they can give you. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to end up being a bummer in the end for everybody. So Abraham now has been put in this position. He says, even you, you, kept your, you didn't even keep your son from me. But Abraham, is, this is what I love too. This is not a illogical faith. He's not just doing this out on a whim. He's believing in the promises of a God that's already been keeping his promises. Back to Hebrews, verse 19. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. Abraham's like, I was already dead. Remember, it talked about his body being dead. Him and his wife were not supposed to be producing kids. He's like, I was already dead. This kid came out of nothing. God could raise him again. He could raise the dead again. But it was, this is why it wasn't blind faith. He also knew, he also knew that God had promised it was going to be Isaac. So he's like, I know your promises are true. I know you said it's going to be Isaac that's going to be the seed and that's going to go on. He doesn't have kids yet. So I know you're not done here with, with this situation. And so the circumstances are chaos. I have no idea I feel like I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place. And when I'm in that place, I'm just going to do what you say and then expect you to do something totally crazy on the other side. So, it was, and this is, of course, also a figurative parable of what we see with the Messiah, Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, who is able to raise his son from the dead. It's like there's the, the idea of like not looking at the Old Testament anymore is kind of crazy because it's like, it brings up the New Testament. It just is so 3D anyway. So then what happens after that? Isaac has the, well, we'll get into this in a second. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Isaac continues the theme of unexpected blessing. God is doing unexpected things. I mean, this is probably a good thing for us to remember. If you could figure it out, it's probably not God. We just said that last week too. He's always doing stuff that's just seemingly different than we would have ever come up with. Who would have ever have thought to start this whole thing with a hundred-year-old guy? And then to say, oh, there's your son. Now you go take. So unexpected blessings all over the place. We'll see that with Jacob. Jacob, why Jacob? He was the younger of the two brothers. And yet, God is doing something very different than anything we could possibly put our hand on, even, you know, like, this can't be. 
How can this be? But Isaac himself was reiterated of the covenant that was started with his father. Genesis 26. There was a famine in the land. Besides the first famine, uh, that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore uh, to, your, uh, to Abraham your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Isaac has now been reiterated the, the promise. God's like, I have not forgotten what I was going to do with your dad. I'm going to do it with you too. So don't start going to the side. Don't start making a new plan. Don't try to run away. Don't try to figure, I figured I need to go over here. I figured ah, it's getting a little messy. Ah, Got to go. So Isaac then goes and he blesses uh, Jacob, right? And it's through some crazy trickery, but we know Jacob would eventually become Israel. Uh, this is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs. And Isaac blessed Jacob, Genesis 28. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to them, said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paran Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there, the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. You see what's happening here? There's a remembering of what God has been doing and what God has promised, and it's being passed on to the next generation. Remember what God has said. Remember what he's promised. Know who you are. So don't go mixing other places. Don't go, don't go mixing in with the world. Know who you are. Know why you're here. You know, something that's really important to a business is like a mission statement. What, what, why do we exist? What makes us different than everyone else. And you can tell, like say at a restaurant, the places that have like a really clear mission statement. Like they, they know why they're here. And so everything about that, it's, it just speaks to that. Like, like this, these people know who they are and they know what they're doing. And then there's some places you go and you go, they're like, we, if you ask for spaghetti, we'll probably try and make it, you know? Like, do you have it? Like, think so. I don't, you will try and figure it out. You know, what do you want to order? Uh, you will make anything you want us to make. And you're like, oh, I don't think I need that. I don't think I can handle that much power. You know, like, have you ever gone to like the, uh, the omelet stations at like a hotel or a restaurant or something and they, they have the omelet stations and, and all of a sudden you're like, well, that is a lot of options or like a sandwich place. I remember I went to a, it was a pita pit in the village back in the day, there was a spot. It was Pita Pit. The first time we went, uh, I just 
I was like, okay, I'll take that meat. And the next thing you know, I, I had put together the most toxic group of stuff. I put everything I liked in one thing, but they don't go together. Like these things don't actually mesh. Like you can't put pineapple with that, man. Like, why did you do that? Like, what were you thinking, you know? But the idea is just there, I, I don't know. I've lost the plot, man. I, I missed the point. I don't know where I'm going. So you know what? The best thing I could have done is said, well, what do what you guys put in it? Like, what are the options? What's the, what's the best sellers? And you go, oh, okay, that one looks pretty good. <laughs> I'll go for that. But if you don't know who you are or where you're going, you're liable to take in everything. What Isaac is doing is reiterating what his dad had reiterated to him. It's going to continue on. So this idea of a lineage of faith throughout the patriarchs, you know, yes, this was God's chosen people, but there was a lot of reminding. Look at what God has done. Do you remember what God has done? Isaac, do you remember when I was straight up going to kill you with a knife up on the mountain and burn you alive? Or not alive, but, you know, burn you? And then all of a sudden there was a ram caught in the thick. Come on, man. Do you remember that? And so guess what Isaac is doing? You will never believe. Your grandpa was nuts, man. <laughs> Let me tell you about it. They're going to be talking about him for a long time. The stuff he did. You know, they, that's what you always try to tell the kids. Because as, as, the, as the, the lineage goes on, you kind of go, oh, grandpa's children. You're like, grandpa, grandpa was a wild man. You don't even know. I know he's been giving you Werther's originals and stuff when you come over now, but like back in the day. So there's like a part where you're giving, you're passing it on to the next generation. So that's the blessing that's been given. And, and then after Isaac has done this, the Lord then follows up, again, relationship. He doesn't want to hang us out to dry. And again, this is why our faith is not like faith and faith or like, or like, I'm just going to believe it even though I don't really have any evidence. God wants to reiterate this to us a million different ways if we'll listen. That's why even the Taylor and Casey, it was reiterated a million ways. Like, this is it. And you go, and then there's peace. Because you make a big decision on your own. You go, like, oh, I hope I made the right decision. But there's peace when God's doing it. Because then you go, well, then, God, you're doing it. This is something you're doing. And then he reaffirms it. Verse 10 of the same chapter, which is 28. Now, Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. Uh, so he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones... Uh, of that place and put it at his head. He lay down uh, in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and the top reached to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Uh, and behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father. Uh, I'm the Lord. I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father. And the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your descendants. Again, God's promise for land. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. His, his uh, promise for an inheritance of people, right? Same thing over and over again. You shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. 
again, the promise that you will be a blessing to the whole world. So it's being reaffirmed through the family, and then God reaffirms it each generation. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And, and you know what's interesting is I, I actually read through um, Isaac's birth through the rest of Genesis this week just because I wanted to have a fresh reading of it. And it is so beautiful when you're reading it with these eyes to see that, that uh, Jacob's like, God has just been with me. He is with me. And you'll see him just show up. Whenever he's in a time of crisis, whenever he's going through something, he'll just show up. I'm about to meet Esau if shows up. And he's there. And he's, and, he's, and he's promising, things are looking chaotic, man. I know, I know, I know. I got you. The pro- and by the way, the promise hasn't changed at all. The exact same thing I said to Abraham, I'm saying to you. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons, each of the sons of Joseph, and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. God faithfully kept his family. And again, unexpected blessing, Joseph. What a wild story. You know, the son that he loved the most. Please don't love a a child the most. You see the kind of problems you give to all the children there? You know, like, what are you doing, man? You know, it's because he loved Rachel the most. But Rachel was kind of sketchy. Like, seriously, she was like stealing her dad's idols and lying about it. And, you know. But she was apparently very good looking. So. So he, uh, unexpected blessing, Joseph. He gets to meet his sons. You know? And so he's able to sit and bless them, and he blesses Ephraim the younger. Again, odd how this unexpected blessing. Who knew through Joseph? By the way, who should it have been? In the lineage, it's Judah. But he's able to bless Joseph and able to spend time with Joseph and still to have a, a relationship with the son that he thought was long gone. And he, uh, and he worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. Why? Did, why was he on top of his staff? Well, it was older, but what else? Do you guys remember? That hip, huh? That hip went out when he was wrestling with God. <laughs> he's like saying, bless me. And this is a real active relationship, right? The blessing, he's, he is a constant reminder that God is present in our strength and even more so in our weakness. We see Paul reiterate that point. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention to the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. Joseph, I think Joseph was a beginning to a fulfillment of, and I mentioned this last week, of, of what God had started with Abraham. I think Joseph was a blessing. His life was a blessing. And again, unexpected blessing. I, if you were to look at Joseph's life, and for a long time there, it looked horrible. Horrible. Not just was he in jail, but he was in jail for something he didn't do. Not just was it, he was sold into slavery for what? Saying he told on his brothers, which you know, younger brother. Tell anyway, there was a lot of brothers, and so they're 
calmer heads did not prevail. So they're like, let's just throw him in a pit and kill. Let's just kill him. They're like, no, let's just throw him in a pit, you know, whatever. And then Reuben's like, all right, I'll come back and get him, you know, after, after they're gone. Then they're like, oh, there's someone. Let's just sell him. And like, cool. Sounds like a good idea. Fake his death, set up the whole scene. And then he's, so he's in slavery, and then he's raised up to the house. Potiphar, and then Potiphar's wife says, this guy tried to sleep with me. Really, it was her trying to sleep with him. And uh, back to jail. He's everything he's doing. But if you read through it again, like I just did, it God was with him, and everything he was doing was prospering. Everything that he was doing was a blessing. Everywhere he went, there was blessing around him. So, and it was undeniable. So, what happens? He ends up in jail. What's happening in jail, dude? He's a blessing. God is with him. All of a sudden, he's in charge of all the prisoners. God has favor on his life. There's a cupbearer, there's a and there's a baker, and they have these dreams, and they're distraught. So they go to Joseph, and everyone knows this guy's wise. How do they know that? Because they're spending time with him, they're seeing him. And Joseph, even though he's been wrongly accused, he doesn't let being a victim make him stuck in a victim mentality. He doesn't let the sin that's done to him become, become a sin that he's doing to others. And that's so often the case. Right? Because some of the worst perpetrators of abuse are those who have themselves been abused. And you go, well, but I've been abused. But like, you know, so what about the person that did that to you? Do you, do you accept their, that the fact that they were abused, is that okay? Where does it stop? Like there comes a point where we come and we bring all this before the Lord and doesn't say that we don't take it seriously or work through it, but like we have to uh, ultimately not let the things that have happened to us control who we are moving forward and say, God, here's all my brokenness. Here's all my pieces. Here's all my, my victimhood. And I, re I release it to you. I, I let you, I, I bring it to you. And I say, can you do anything with this? Can you like put this back together? Can you mend this? Can you make something beautiful out of all this horrible stuff? And so Joseph was actively doing that. So all, he was an ambassador in the house of, of uh, Potiphar. And then what happens? He's an ambassador for, for you know, he's, he's a, uh, I think, a visible, um, he, he's like a visual example of Abrahamic righteousness, of what it looks like to walk with God of what it looks like to be a blessing. And so, the, you know, you, you know the story, cupbearer, the baker, they end up, you know, one of them's dead, one of them's not. And Joseph says, hey, when you get out, remember me, because he could interpret their dreams. And they don't, because we're selfish. And we go, I got what I wanted, now I'm gone. What else? So then Pharaoh has dreams. And cupbearer was like, you know what? I remember a guy who could interpret dreams. You should go back and talk to him. And so Joseph comes up and he's like, I know exactly what that dream is. You have two dreams, but they're actually only one thing. And the fact that it's been said twice, it means it's happening. And God, God's making it happen. So he tells him about these years of plenty, these years of famine. And he tells him, this is what you need to do. You got to get a wise guy who can oversee this whole thing and that can save up and whatever. And so long story short, he says, I don't know anyone like that but you, ex-prisoner. I have never met anyone like you. And so what, what happens? 
He says, here's my signet ring. You're second in the kingdom. Do whatever you want. Make it happen, man. So what does Joseph do? He starts taking in. He's wise. He's, 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 he's um, bringing order to the world. He's doing the thing that man was created to do, to rule and subdue the land, to plan ahead, to be wise. And so he ends up bringing all this in, seven years, everything's great. Then seven years of famine, everyone's losing it. So Joseph is eventually to the point where he's buying back, he's buying people's livestock, and he's eventually buying their land and themselves. And he says, all right, 20% tax on it. You can live, but the 20% tax will keep you alive, will keep feeding you. Joseph eventually ends up saving who knows how many people. And then, as you know, this, his brothers, they're you know, looking for food. They come to Egypt. They find out they have food. The drought is huge. And through his faithfulness and being used by the Lord, what, what ends up happening? They all end up coming. Pharaoh says, oh, you're, you're Joseph's family? Dude, you're in. Let me give you a great spot. Oh, you're farmers? We don't really like that, you know, <laughs> or, you know, we, they can carry livestock shepherds. I mean, we don't really like that. You go do that. Here, you can be in charge of all this. And they're blessed in Egypt for all those years. Again, unexpected blessing. But by faith, 22, when Joseph was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. When, when Jacob died or Israel died, he says to his sons, you've got to take me. He says, you've got to take me back to my land to bury me. And then Joseph says the same thing. Take my bones out of here. Genesis 50 verse 24 says, and Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Again, what's the lineage? He's been told. He's been reminded. He believes it. I think that's why he's so useful in the kingdom of, of Egypt is that he believes God and trusts God that even those circumstances are an absolute disaster. He trusts God. And he's like, all right, yeah, I, my, my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather have all been in really rough situations before, and God has seen them through. So guess what? I'm not pulling the plug. We as a family, we trust God no matter what. It's like the, the Joshua, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. So then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Here's the idea. He did not want to stay there. Even though God had blessed them, again, this is a picture of the blessing, the, the, the miracle is not greater than the miracle worker, the one that blesses. So with Isaac, Great, I have a son. But the one who gave me the son is greater than the son. Egypt, man, God has really used this place. I've been brought to prominence. We're keeping a bunch of people alive. We're happy and we're prospering. But there's something greater going on. There's a promise for something greater. So we keep our eyes fixed on the finish line, not on half victories. You got to keep your eyes fixed on 
the end. Otherwise, you never get there. You miss out on what, you're, what the point is because we'll get stuck here. Oh, this is, oh, this is where I want to be. Imagine going to Disneyland. I say this in closing. Imagine going to Disneyland and it's your first time ever going. You're so excited. Oh, wow. We made it. We're finally here. And you show up, you park in like Donald Duck or something, you know, Donald Duck one or something, I don't know. And you get there and you're walking up and there's a million people and they all have matching shirts that said, you know, like whatever your family's name is, party of whatever. And you're like, this is a big deal. And so what do you do? You walk up to the line and what do you get in line and get on? The tram, right? And you get on that tram and you go, oh my gosh, this thing is moving. It has wheels, it's, it's driving, and you just are like, I've arrived. I'm here. I'm on a ride at Disneyland. And so you get on that tram and you stay on that tram all day long. You go back and forth and you come back and you go, how was Disneyland? You're like, it was so amazing. And I literally rode a ride the whole time. It was awesome. What ride was it? It was the tram. They're like, the, tr the, tr the tram, right? The one with like a million. You just rode the tram? Did you not have tickets? No, I had tickets. But I just thought I had a, a great spot there. I kind of had my ice chest out. I set up, you know, and it was all set up. I had like actually a little TV too. And I was posted up for the day. And it was so awesome. And I didn't have to deal with any of the other mess. I didn't have to deal with, you know, having to find the right entrance or the lines or walking around. I was there, man. And they're like, you did not go to Disneyland. You were just at the tram. So that, that's the idea. Is like when we try to look at the blessing as the ultimate, it's like, no, you, that is like a sign of, of what God wants to do in the future. He wants to do so much more. He wants to show you he's faithful now for something way greater later. He wants to establish that he can fulfill his promises now so that you, you'll believe that he, when he wants to do something even greater later. You know, he was faithful with the little things. When you're faithful with the small things, he entrusts you bigger things. So Abraham's faith was a walk of faith, you know, and it's where God, and, and this is the thing, it's, it's not just, it's out of an active relationship with him, like, God, you open this door, and I'm going to believe you, and then he comes through, and he's like, uh-oh, here comes scary people, this is my, not my wife, this is my sister, and he's like, hmm, bummer, <laughs> And they go, okay, now I'm going to believe you in this way. You keep on going. Oh, she's my sister again. Man, I already did that one. Why are you doing that again? What's crazy is then Isaac also does that. Right? You go, ah, yes. This, we have a way of following suit, don't we? But what's the end result? He sees God move, and he sees God move, and then he sees the greatest miracle, a son being born out of one who is dead, and then is it able, be able to trust God in the gnarliest season of faith because he has relationship with him, because of past track records. There's a history there. So God wants us to have a history with him. 
It's already begun. If you're a believer, it's already begun. He's met, you, met us in our deepest need, which is the fact that we are broken. We are deeply in sin. We're, we're stuck. We're slaves to sin. But then Christ died, that he broke the bonds of sin and death. And now we are no longer slaves to those who are found in Christ Jesus. We now put on a new life. We are now crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we already received that. The relationship has begun. But as we continue to actively watch God move, don't be too easily satisfied. The tram's great, but Space Mountain's better. He wants to take us on something way, way more fun, way better, way more of an adventure. And he wants us to, to, to be in awe of him the whole way. So every time that something comes up, and by the way, here's the other thing I would say. Expect it to be a little odd. <laughs> expect it to be out of your comfort zone. You know, comfort zone has become something we love so much. Comfort zone, nothing good really happens in a comfort zone. You know, you, you, even like, say you start working out and you're like, I got, you get used to doing it. You're like, I don't even feel anything when I do it anymore. It's awesome. You're like, it's not awesome. You're not building anymore. If it's too easy, you've got to up the ante. You've got to become sore again. You've got to not be okay again. You got, you got to keep on going and pressing if you want to see more out of it. But we worship comfort. And God wants to bring us off of that. And, and also, we worship comfort, but also then we're, we're like so bored. He's like, the answer is follow me. Have an active relationship with me. Walk down kind of wild paths with me. And believe me what I say. Because you know me. When God says, hey, you know, any name here? You go, here I am. And then he's, he, he speaks something that you know, he's, you know he's telling you to do it. And then he affirms it again and again. And you go, all right, this doesn't make a lot of sense, but I'm going to trust him anyway. And then you get like the amazing, awe-filled uh, experience of seeing God do something that only God could do. And you go, whoa, he's with me. He really does want to use me. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.